This week's episode of Aussie Tech Ed is brought to you by Start New Company. Register your company immediately today with ASIC. ABN, TFN, GST registration is also available directly from the portal. Also set up your family trust and self-managed superannuation fund and more. All at startnewcompany.com.au. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash startnewco and keep an eye out for our regular specials. Start your new company now within 10 minutes of lodgement. All legal company documentation provided after registration. startnewcompany.com.au. Also brought to you by athwebhosting.com.au. All our servers are operating on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration, and more. Easy install WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, and 300 other one-click installations. Generous space and bandwidth, auto backups, WordPress help and maintenance plans are also available on contact. If your webpage is important for your business or your life, contact us today. Aussie support, secure services, athwebhosting.com.au. And now for the show. Welcome to episode 685 of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on the 16th of July, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and this is my co-host, Big Willie. Hey, mate. How goes it? How's that going, Big Willie? Uh, better now. I've got a computer back. Whoa. And what was wrong with it after all that? Uh, well, after well, the initial problem that caused the crash was a Windows rollback and reinstall on a RAID driver. It decided to take the proprietary RAID driver off and install its own version. Didn't they do your network card before that? Yeah, they've done the network card and the graphics card. So this is now the third driver that they've overwritten with the wrong driver. Isn't there like any way to protect against Microsoft installs or something? Well, I've turned, I've turned off not only auto updates, I've also turned off auto driver assignments and it ain't working. So, uh. nope. Well, the next thing I'm going to do is block the Microsoft um, IP addresses yep. through the firewall so it physically can't access it. But, like, seriously. Anyway, so they figured that out. Um, they got it working and they stability tested it for, like, a week and the thing didn't crash. Bought it home, plugged in, didn't work. Uh. Was about to take it back and just... Randomly, I had everything unplugged except the power cable and a video cable plugged in. It worked. Okay. Plugged in the keyboard, plugged in the mouse, plugged in another video card, plugged in all the video cards. No, time to switch to the hub. So I plugged the hub in, wouldn't boot. Oh. Mm. Turns out, USB three USB three hubs fail. They go to a no boot condition. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Yeah. So killed one hub. I got a new one now. But turns out that's probably what the problem was. Although. The symptom was bad drivers. And a gecko. And the problem, yeah, well, yeah, there's a gecko in there, <laughs> but he's fine. It turns out he didn't eat he's, too much. He's little Roger. So. Roger the gecko. And it looks like all the video files from the interview are corrupt, so I've got to spend some time and effort and energy and money on those and get those recovered. 
Send me a copy so, too. I'm look around with him for a while. Thanks, Microsoft. Yeah, I'm going to send you a raw copy of a video file that's an hour long. Yeah. You know how big that is? Just to get on your Dropbox, man. It's like 150 gig. <laughs> it's actually possibly more than that. Because um, don't forget, I recorded in... Um, I recorded in uh, through uh, 3840 by 1080. Ah. So that I could record both full screen, both people in full screen at full width and then cut, like, cut later, say, trying to do it live. Okay, well, my advice then is good luck. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that pretty much. <laughs> but anyway, so other than that, it's all working good now. It's good to have it back up and running and, you know, all the, all the things that come with that, like, you know, being able to do things. Yeah. You don't realize how much you use a computer until you don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to like do... You your, can't go fishing. You're trying to do like your timesheet and you're trying to do like um, your tax return and stuff on your phone. It's just like, uh, <laughs> this is really painful. I think I'm going to have to attempt my tax return on the weekend. I did mine. took me luck. 12 seconds. Uh, happy luck. You must have a good um, accountant. Yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> I just tick yes to everything. <laughs> and then when they go, you, you cocked up, we know, oh, well, not my fault, it's too hard. Yeah. Make it easier. So, yeah, exactly. Simplify it. Yeah. I know how you can simplify it. Stop charging me tax. <laughs> you don't want to pay it anyway. It's, um... But that's a whole other story for a whole different show. Not that I'm doing that show anymore, but if I was doing that show, yeah. that'd be a story for that one. Have you seen um, the comedy show Black Books when Bernard is trying to do his taxes? I don't know if I've seen that one specifically. I've seen a lot of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, they've got a lot of funny stuff. It's like, if you live by the river in a flat... What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Some of the... Uh, uh, but it's not that far off. No, doing normal, you know, if you if you if you have to write with your left hand, but you got to pee with your right hand, you can claim this tax benefit. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, that's what he was going on about. It's, it's true though. That's the problem. It's not like it's you know. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, no, it's all all plodding along and all sort of. I'm on two weeks holiday, so I'm completely lost in terms of day and time and. I just have no idea. Like, until you messaged me, I was completely unaware it was even Thursday today. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's, here's one of the things he had. If you live in a council flat beside the river but are not blind, what's, what's your mother's name? Yeah. I don't know. What's her first name? I just knew her as Ma. That's That'll it. do. Ma, possibly <laughs> deceased. And then he rings his mother later in the episode. Hi, Ma. Now I've got to go. I'm doing my text. Uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> so. But he found out that if you were gravely injured, you didn't have to do your tax. So he was trying to get everyone to beat him up so he'd be knocked out and wouldn't be able to do his tax. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I can understand that. Right? Mm. Uh, I like that they pre fill stuff on the website now, though, so that might help me. It does, yeah, and the only bank statements and everything come in automatically. And... Oh, yeah, private health stuff and all your greens, that, what do they call them? Group certificates. Group certs and, yeah, all that sort of stuff. It's all, it's all done online. It really, like, the only thing if you want to spend time doing is deductions. Yeah. Um, you can spend time and do your deductions. I just did 
a couple of basics things. And uh, I could have claimed a lot more. I could have claimed tolls. I could claim phone. I could claim internet. I can claim all sorts of bits and pieces, but I didn't bother. I just did a couple of basic ones and you know, whatever. But yeah, I do like. And uh, they ask you at the end of it, do you wish to? Um, uh, do you wish to? Um, what's it say at the end? Will you be will you be will you be filling out a tax return next year? So I'll just tick no. <laughs> See what happens. Well that's all it said. It said are you gonna fill yeah. out a tax return next year? No. No. <laughs> the, I mean, the funniest <laughs> one funniest one that I liked. Government, you owe us money, it's called taxes. Oh, how much do I owe? You have to figure that out. Oh, I just pay what I want. Oh no, we know exactly how much you owe, but you have to guess that number two. Yeah. What if I get it wrong? Oh, you go to prison. Yep. If you already know, then why do I have to fill out? Yep. <laughs> exactly. It's so dumb. Absolutely. And the, yeah. One uh, day I hope to be rich enough not to have to pay tax anymore. Well, pretty much. It's only poor people who need to pay money to the government. Yeah. That's. You see, Apple just got out of their, what is it, $14 billion that they were supposed to owe to the EU? Yep. Because money. They got the lawyers and accountants that we can't afford. But they don't no. need it. But no, that's right. The, the rich people who can afford the accountants to not pay the tax are what the poor people need so they don't have to pay the tax because they can't afford it. But the rich people who can afford to pay the tax don't pay the tax because mm -hmm. they can afford to hire somebody to not pay the tax. Because the rich people know that taxes, the, the, the rich companies and the rich lawyers know that taxes is, is, is an un, um, unlawful things though they they just go well we're not paying it and they, they, they don't go to jail they turn around and go oh okay <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's us schmucks who don't have the money to take it if you take it to court you'll win every time yeah because it's unlawful they to don't have the it, time and money for it it's unlawful to be paying tax and it's unlawful for them to collect it and it's also unlawful because the tax department's a private entity that they can't even prove that they're a legal at they're they're a lawful asset under the court of law and that's been proven time and time again if you have the money to fight them, you'll win every time. You but don't. you've got to have the money to fight them to win every time. So <laughs> it's like... <laughs> and if you had the money, you wouldn't need to fight them. Yeah, exactly. So it's... Yeah. It's a trap. It's a top. Star Wars. It's a trap. Oh, should we do some sort of story rubbish? Um, I don't know. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, that's a thing we should do one day, shouldn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, what? It sounds terrible. <laughs> sounds horrible. Hey, that's your, you designed that. That's all you, buddy. <laughs> I found it on the website. <laughs> A number of high profile Twitter accounts were simultaneously hacked on Wednesday by attackers who used the accounts, some with millions of followers, to spread a cryptocurrency scam. Apple, it's Tim Apple. <laughs> Apple, Elon Musk, and Joe Biden were among the accounts compromised in a broadly targeted hack that remained mysterious hours after taking place. Those accounts and many others posted a message promoting the address of a Bitcoin wallet with the claim that the amount of any payments made to the address would be doubled and sent back. A known cryptocurrency currently scam technique, which a bunch of dummies apparently fell for. Mm, sounds legit. You know, you don't, you don't say here if you just mail me a five dollar note. 
I'll I'll totally email you back a ten dollar one. Yeah, I'll, I will guarantee. I'll if you send me ten bucks, I'll guarantee you. I'll send you a note with a hundred dollars written on it. Yeah, <laughs> they don't even get that. <laughs> In the hours follow the initial scam post, Kim Kardashian West, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Barack Obama, Wiz Khalifa, Warren Buffett, YouTuber Mr. Beast, oh, Wendy's. Nice. Uber, Cash App, and Mike Bloomberg also posted the cryptocurrency scam. While we're still learning more specifics about how the hack went down, we can report that the hacker leveraged an internal Twitter admin tool to gain access to the high-profile account. Apparently, a social engineering rang up one of the staffies, and they're like, hey, I'm, I want to use the admin tool. They're like, oh, yeah, totes and stuff. The reporting was soon confirmed by Twitter's own account of what happened. On Wednesday evening, the company tweeted that a coordinated social engineering attack on employees gave hacker access to internal systems and tools. Before the scope of the incident became clear, the hack appeared to focus on cryptocurrency-focused accounts. An initial wave of scam posts from the accounts Bitcoin, Ripple, Coindesk, Coinbase, and Binance were hacked with the same message. We've partnered with Crypto for Health and are giving back five thousand bitcoins to the community followed by a link to a website which was totes dodge and everything why do people fall for if people didn't fall for this i wouldn't have a job i'll just have to say that so yeah, thank you pretty much, dummies yeah. i know i, I mean my anti anti spam anti malware anti scamming stuff keeps me busy and you guys have no money because you give it all away hmm. that's um Pretty much. <laughs> that and Nigerian really. princes. Uh, the problem is there is legitimate... Yeah, I can just see there's like one prince sitting there going, seriously, nobody's replied to my email? Nobody <laughs> wants my money. Yeah, that's it. I just want to make some friends. <laughs> I just want to give my money away. Give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. So, so yes, if you saw that, don't give away your cryptos because nobody in the world is ever going to give you back double what you give them, no matter what the account is or who owns it or how legitimate well, it's Well, awesome that's not entirely true. I mean, if someone gives me one black eye, I'll probably give them two. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, that's the exception <laughs> rather than the rule. <laughs> uh, it's bloody ridiculous, mate. Mm. Uh, how do people fall for these things? So Speaking easy. of people falling for things, uh, four suckers have given us money on Patreon. Ka-ching. I know, right? <laughs> we love you so they, much. Um, yeah, we've um, we have Patreon set up. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Aussie Techheads. And that um, message going, oh, wait. Oh, wait. There used to be a message going across the top of the screen. What happened? You mean that one? Technical failure. <laughs> Whoa, what the heck is that? <laughs> that one, that message there. <laughs> Uh, if you open the program to display the message, it works better than if you don't. Okay. <laughs> so it's um, but yeah. You so can't that, blame me this week. <laughs> well, I can because you know, yes. but I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we've had um, Aussie Tickets uh, on Patreon, and we've got four people who have um, graciously donated their hard-earned money to us per month. Uh, we have Chris, we have David Bird, we have Daniel and Amanda D, and we have Bouncing Yellow Skull, the probably Oing. the best handle ever. Um, we do thank you greatly for that. It does help us a lot. Uh, that particular, that's to be completely transparent with you guys, of that $16, we get about, um, I believe it's 11 or 12 
Um, and that money is going into, uh, currently I believe, going into hosting the radio station. So so there's that. Hopefully, um, you know, obviously don't feel advised, but if you guys want to help us out, it does directly go back into the show and helps us and takes the burden off us because we just do this because we enjoy it, not because we make money from it. So, so go to com. Yep, that's 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 being funded, publicly funded. Yay. <laughs> um so yeah. Um just quickly too, the as we we're talking about the other week, about how incredibly resilient our infrastructure is and and how amazingly bulletproof all our backups are for our government organizations. The ATO what did they system lose this time? ATO website. <sighs> Twelve fourteen and the website was unusable. Fourteen minutes after midnight, when everybody's asleep, it was like inaccessible because people, too many people had tried to lodge their form. I bet it was one guy, right? <laughs> yeah, one guy tried to lodge it, and <laughs> their uh, MS Excel spreadsheet crashed. <laughs> At eleven thirty a.m. the day that night, the ATO acknowledged delays accessing our online systems are possible. This is before anybody had even logged on. <laughs> It's <laughs> pathetic. Oh, so there's and they that. probably spent millions on it too. Oh, it's probably hosted on Amazon most likely, or well, it's going to be now. Sounds like it's hosted <laughs> on a Commodore sixty four to me. It's hosted, yeah, it's, it's hosted with the the uh, the police department, federal police department, and the COVID uh, tracer app. So, yeah, apparently they've had like. Um, was it six million installs or something? Uh. And like ninety percent of the data's corrupted or didn't uh, didn't upload properly or something. So it's like I bet it was a Microsoft driver. A lot of people are blaming their computer crashes on that these hey, days well, for some reason. You had it. You had exactly the same problem. You know, you know. Well, my daughter did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've had this problem. Like it's it's a legit thing. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. So it's just a quick story. Just I just thought that was. I just, Caught my attention as I was uh, thing, but speaking of all, we're sort of on the th- on the thing of internet. Aussie broadband. Now, I did an I did an interview as I mentioned the other week with Aussie broadband. Hopefully next not not this weekend coming. Hopefully next weekend I'll have these these um, interview up if I can get the files recovered. And we were actually talking about this in, in a bit more detail. So when the interview comes out, um, it'll be good to go and watch. But basically, Aussie broadband. Are coming out and saying that they're going, there's most likely going to be speed cuts um, once the CVC holiday ends, which is about August 19th. And the NBN retailers myself will be paying for the extra bandwidth. At the moment, um, the NBN has released ac- extra bandwidth to cover the, the demand. Um, but as of uh, Oct- August 19th, they're going to go back to paying. That so currently they're about forty percent up on their standard bandwidth usage. Um, we ran the numbers quickly on the on the interview I did, and it effectively works out to nearly a million dollars. It's costing per month the company, and given that they've only got a quarter of a million subs, uh, a quarter of a million customers, um, it effectively means four dollars per customer has to either be found somewhere or is going to have to be charged somewhere. Because that's a lot of money. Like you can't carry that sort of money, you know. Yeah. Um, 
and they're petitioning the NBN to say, well, clearly the network can handle it and clearly the data is effectively free because the infrastructure is now in place and you're wrapping up construction. So why are you charging us extra to have extra data? So Aussie, Aussie Broadband is leading that push um, because they do run on a lot tighter budget than a lot of the other telcos because they have Australian call centers, they have a lot of stuff like that. So their overheads are higher and their prices are cheaper. So something's got to give somewhere. Um, and it's expected to rise and, and get worse and the problem's expected to get worse. Whether other companies come clean and say anything about this is another story. Um, but but Aussie Broadband... Just when we thought Australian internet was starting to head in a good direction. Uh, pretty much. Um, you know, it's it's stupid. It's the, it's not the provider's fault. It's the NBN Co. Just basically because the network's privatised and they own it. Um Ching which realistically it's a government organisation at the end of the day, but because NBN co-own it, they can charge whatever they want. And if they say, no, we're charging you more for data, well, that's got to be passed on somewhere. So unfortunately, if they can't come to some sort of agreement, the price is going to have to go up. End of story. That that There's no option for that. Much like my mobile phone contract after I got it. Yeah. I got a contract with Telstra, fifty dollars a month for the um, the data and calls contract, and they're like, "Oh, hey, you've got a five G phone, so now you've got the five Gs, uh, and you've got a contract. We're going to backtrack that to add an extra fifteen dollars a month." Well, they can't because it's five G, but we'll pay the fifteen dollars a month for the next year. But after that, you have to pay the extra fifteen dollars a month because it's a five G phone that's going to be on the five G network. That I don't want to use. So just disable that feature, things. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, you haven't actually enabled it yet. Don't have five G here. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty pathetic, isn't it? Uh, here's one you should uh, be interested in: lithium-ion batteries play a central role in the world of technology, powering everything from smartphones to smart cars. And one of the people who helped commercialize them says he has a way to cut mass production costs by ninety percent and significantly improve their safety. Haideke Hori, formerly of Nissan Motor Co, founded Tokyo-based APB Corp in 2018 to make all polymer batteries, hence the company name. The making of a cell, every battery's basic unit is a complicated process requiring clean room conditions with airlocks and control moisture, constant air filtering and exacting precisions to prevent contamination of highly reactive materials. Setup can be so expensive that a handful of top players like South Korea's LG Cab Limited, China's CATL, and Japan's Panasonic Corp spend billions of dollars to build a suitable factory. Hori's innovation is to replace the battery's basic components, metal-lined electrodes and liquid electrolytes, with a resin construction. He says this approach dramatically simplifies and speeds up manufacturing, making as easy as buttering toast. It allows for 10-meter-long battery sheets that can be stacked on top of each other like seat cushions to increase capacity. Importantly, the resin-based batteries are also resistant to catching fire when punctured. In March, APB raised $74 million, which is tiny by the wider industry standards, but will be enough to fully equip one factory for mass production slated to start next year. Ori estimates the funds will get his plant in central Japan to one gigawatt hour capacity by 2023. 
Hmm. Sounds interesting. I'm just reading up on it now. It's not new technology. There's a company called uh, uh, Convestro, I believe. I'm just double-checking that. But they've been doing that for a few years. Ah. Um, yeah, Bayblend resins. They use it in the green pack. Mm -hmm. They're flame-retardant, light and strong, high-impact resistance, ease of use. Yeah, it's not new technology. Um, but you know, anything that can be... Bring the cost down is certainly a bit. I mean, well, and the safety up. Elon Musk himself has developed a new way of doing it. They reckon they can produce like sixty percent more batteries in the same period of time by doing it by changing like they have to literally change like one chemical. They take out the or they change the cobalt or something, and they use something else, and it literally changes the production time and cost by like yeah sixty percent or something. Ah, so. But these are, um, lithium ions. I believe these are lithium polymers, not lithium ions, which is a different kettle of fish again. All right. Lithium polymers, lithium ions are relatively cheap. Lithium polymers are dear because they're more power dense, but they're also much more dangerous. Right. Um, so hopefully this will just, dial back the dangerous from like 14 to 11 um <laughs> if you ever see like explosions in lithium battery packs and stuff it's generally lithium polymer which is uh any of the pouch type batteries so ones found in mobile phones and um a lot of the portable power packs that sort of thing yeah um they're a they're a pouch rather than a solid cell like like these sort of you know you're Back power packs, that sort of stuff. You can actually see, I don't think the camera shows it up, but you can actually see this one's actually bowed because oh, yeah. uh, the pouch inside's swollen. Right. And that'll eventually catch on fire one day when I'm charging it. Um, <laughs> Look forward to that. <laughs> which is why I watch I, the YouTube video. <laughs> that's why I charge it outside now. But <laughs> And that's what's in your phone, those sort of things. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're incredibly dangerous. Your, uh, the most common ones now is your lithium-ion cells, like your 18650s, and they... They look anything like, um, you know, they can look like a, a standard battery, like there's nothing special. They're much more stable compound, but they're less power dense, so you don't get the same amount of energy in the same size cells. So uh. they're cheaper to produce, but you have to use more cells. But they are much more reliable cells, so um, that's why they tend to use them. Like That's what the Tesla's use, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, but... I'm all for making lipos. I don't touch lipos. Lipos are, are dangerous. Um, yeah. I've had many lipos explode in my face over the years. Not a fan. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, but anything you can do to make a lipo more um, more safe, I'm absolutely in agreement with. Um, yeah. Especially saying you're going to make them cheaper. Lipos are already so cheap. Like, they're, they're, they're much, you know, for the power they deliver. So, to make them as cheap as... Um, 85% cheaper or whatever you're saying. That's going to be great if they're more reliable. And pump them out a lot faster too. Well, it also means that your average phone battery um, your average phone battery will probably be more powerful and um, or you can have a smaller battery for the same capacity which means you can have more hardware in there. So it's, that's definitely going to be a benefit. There's no, there's no bad to come of that. Better for cars too. 
Um, yeah, they might. I mean, there are some cars like the Nissan Leaf that use the polar batteries, polymer batteries, but yeah, not that many. But they, they may start going that way if it ends up being a reliable, a reliable option. Oh. Get, once they get the reliability up, then the versatility will follow. Yeah. So. Um, as most of you listeners would probably know, Grant Imahara. Fantastic guy. Uh, love him. Love a lot of stuff he does. Obviously, was Mythbusters. On, he's of Mythbusters fame, but he well before that goes way back into uh, Industrial Light and Magic. Worked with Adam Savage back there. And even prior to that, did some on-screen stuff. Been making robots as long as you remember. He's a, he was a... Uh, had several degrees. Electrical engineer. Um, he's a robotanist, television host. He's done some acting. Um... He did a lot of the robots for Star Wars. He did a lot, yeah. He'd BB-8. Oh, sorry, R2-D2. And um, he had his hand with uh, Energizer Bunny. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know um, the Craig Ferguson uh, show. He's got Jeff Peterson, which is the robot on there. Oh, my. And, uh, I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll play. What I'll do, instead of me rabbiting on about it, um, I'll play a quick clip from um, what's called Still Untitled. It's the Adam Savage has tested YouTube channel. It's a podcast he's got to do every week. Now, this week's was dedicated to um, Granny Mahara. Um, I'll just play you like a minute out of that, but it's really worth a lot. Uh, listen to some of the memories and some of the stories they, they tell about him. Um, but yeah, just this sort of encapsulates what I recall of him myself, but obviously this will be different for everybody. But uh, let me just do this and then I'll play this bit for you guys. There were a few electronics guys at ILM and Grant was one of them, but he was also a top-notch model maker. Uh, and like all the impressions that the public has of Grant of being generous and sweet and self-effacing and humble, like, that's how Grant has been the entire time I've known him. Um, so working with him was really fun. We worked on Galaxy Quest uh, together. He did some. He did he gave me some advice about lighting a piece I was working on. But he designed this really cool thing for Galaxy Quest for the uh, the main ship for mm -hmm. Galaxy Quest. Um, he designed an LED engine nacelle that had a program for making the nacelles glow, which he got approval. Like he designed the program to make them glow in a specific way. And then the program could cycle that glowing sequence frame by frame for the motion control shots oh, of wow. the ship. And that was like, that was Grant inventing a technology with the motion control department to like make the shot work. That wasn't a thing you could pull off of a shelf. Yeah. Um, he also designed two different engine cell uh, lighting sequences for Galaxy Quest because for the fake opening of the Galaxy Quest television show within the movie, ILM built a shitty ship. They built the crappy one and he did the like crude lighting for that. And then for the real ship, he did this really beautiful, beautiful, sh uh, beautiful stuff with blue LEDs. And I remember the blue LEDs cost a fortune back then. It was really hard for him to source them. So, yeah, and I'll quickly, um, one of the robots I was talking about, I'll quickly just play this clip just for you guys as well, just so you get an idea of, 
I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen this, but you've never realised that this was a um, Granny Mahara creation. So, uh, uh, internal things got me a new uh, ID card. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Want to see it? Yeah, let me check it out, pal. <laughs> oh, man, you got hosed. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Check them out on YouTube. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I remember an episode, I was watching one a cup, uh, a rerun of his a couple of nights ago, and they're in the middle of one of the conversations, and his and his arms just drooping more and more and more and more, and like by the end of it, his hand falls off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, look, um, it's we've lost a few people in the last what four six weeks. Yep. There's been a lot of celebrities, but for me, this is probably. Um, I mean, I grew up watching MythBusters. Obviously, it's one of the staple staple diet, effectively. You know. Um, started in 2003, so it was just as I sort of moved out of home, it was my comfort show, you know. So yeah. I've, I've sort of I grew up um, watching Grant effectively, and uh, yeah, he's I wouldn't say you're not a role model or anything, but it's certainly an inspiration. Uh, he used to do battle bots, he designed his own robots, um, Death uh, Dead Blow. Um, Dead Blow is a one like three seasons of battle bots or something um you know and like yeah he just grew up enjoying everything he did because we had very similar similar tastes so um for me this is probably one of the hardest ones we've had recently but if you're not obviously you most people are aware but go and check out some of the other stuff he's did you'll be surprised um just how much he he had his hand in how many jobs he was um you know, he was also hired as an engineer for Lucas for Lucasfilms THX. He did, did visual effects and ILM. Um, he did Lost World, Jurassic Park, Star Wars Episode One, Galaxy Quest, of course, because why not? Artificial Intelligence, Star Wars Episode Two, Terminator Three, um, Matrix Reloaded, Van Helsing, Star Wars Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith. Um, He's actually um, he's updating the R2D2 robots for the new for the prequel trilogy, making them obviously because it's the the wait yeah the pre- prequel no it was after I don't know the new ones anyway which are <laughs> however they're working are the one set um, last yep. yeah. So he had to make the robots more advanced because they were newer or something. Yep. Anyway, so it was, his, it was his job to do that, you know, and um, he had, he, you know, I mean, that's a pretty intense job. Here's an R2-D2 unit that's world-renowned. Everybody knows it inside and out, and it's been a staple of the geeks sphere for the last 30 years. Just change it a bit, will you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Um, and Adam goes on to tell a story in that interview that he was talking, they had like, I think he was saying they had 60 or 70 people in a Zoom meeting just wow. chatting about it. And, um, one of the producers who's did the thing is actually like earlier in the week, Grant tweeted or end of last week, Grant tweeted or 
Instagrammed or something and showed a photo of one of the updates he'd just done on R2-D2. Right. Um, and that R2-D2 unit is sitting behind like this producer or writer or director, whoever is sitting behind him in the shop. Like, <laughs> he's, <laughs> It's there. Like He literally worked on that like the day he died. Yeah. You know, like it's just uh, weird. But anyway, no, not to not to dwell on it, but yeah, so just you know, really good guy, really into, really makes you feel good sort of guy. Go and check out some of the stuff he did, and, and just let him be your inspiration. It, it helps. Yeah. He, he's he's you know he's as I said, not, I wouldn't call him a role model, but I definitely call him somebody to inspire you to uh, to do your best every, whenever you can do it, sort of thing. So, hmm. so yeah. The merger between Vodafone and TPG has been completed after two companies won their court battle against the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. The pair faced off with the consumer watchdog after they originally blocked from merging last year. Hmm. The ACCC argued TPG was probably going to build its own mobile phone network and give Australian customers consumers a fourth choice, thereby increasing competition. Nope. TPG and Vodafone argue that TPG's plans for a mobile network were scuttled by the government's decision to ban Huawei, whose cheaper <laughs> technology TPG planned to rely on. But they're unbanned now. What's, what's their excuse now? Are they unbanned here? They, they were banned and unbanned and rebanned in the UK. <laughs> well, all the 4G, um, the 4G NBN boxes that are going out are using Huawei modems, so... Yeah. <laughs> It's also, it also argued the two should be allowed to merge so they could effectively compete with Optus and Telstra. Arguing stronger competition would, be, would provide better outcomes for consumers than more competition. The merger is now underway as the new company's assets are combined to form TPG Telecom. The name of the new company aside, its brands, which now include Vodafone, TPG, IINet, Lebara, AAPT and Internode will remain the same. Company said Vodafone and TPG customers will remain Vodafone and TPG customers, and there'll be no difference in the day-to-day experience on the network for either. Over the next few months, TPG's existing spectrum, the radio waves that carry mobile communications, which telcos bid against each other for access to, and its small cell assets will be added to the Vodafone mobile network with a plan to bring more capacity, support more customers, and boost performance across the network. Vodafone's mobile sites will also be connected to TPG's fiber network to increase performance. Canberra customers will receive a 20% capacity increase as 99 sites of additional spectrum deployed in the 1800 MHz band. And small cells are also being deployed in busier parts of the Melbourne CBD at Collins Street and Docklands. Not that as many people as usual will be there due to new lockdowns <laughs> aimed at stopping the spread of coronavirus after a surge in cases. I bet you they're not putting anything in at the moment. <laughs> But yeah, we can put stuff in there, but nobody's allowed to go there anyway. That's so what's the point? One of the few things I'm, um, as a Vodafone customer, I'm not necessarily upset about the merger because theoretically I'll get better coverage. Yeah. But that's about the end of my care factor. <laughs> <laughs> so as long as customer support is good, why start now? <laughs> right? <laughs> they why, never had it before. Why change something? <laughs> yeah, no, it's. I don't know. It works, it works. Hopefully, if uh, Aussie Broadband get these plans that they're talking about, I'll be switching to them. Yeah. So, just a couple of quick sort of updates. The AMD 
is very busy at the moment in the CPU arena. They just released four new uh, Ryzen processors, um, which Ryzen is their highest, well, their second highest level processor. It's basically their highest consumer grade processor, effectively. Um, I have the Ryzen. Um, I think I have the Ryzen 7 13700, which was the highest available at the time I built the system, short of going to a Threadripper. They've just released, for example, the Ryzen 7 Pro 4750. Um, I think mine's a, I think mine's a four core, eight thread, um, 3.7, something like that. The new ones are an eight core, 16 thread, 4.1 gig, uh, 12 meg case, seven graphics cores, 1600 megahertz graphic frequency with a 15 watt power dis distribution. Mm. And they benchmark roughly 33% quicker than the current processor I've got. Um, mm. And, oh, sorry, they benchmark, um, um, yeah, sorry, about 20% quicker than the current processor I've got. And they benchmark 33% quicker than the i7-1051, which is the fastest uh, i7 um, currently available. So, and they're like half the price of the, the i7. So, oh, right. but having said that, they're also, they're taking on Intel's Xenon chips with the Threadripper Pro 3000. Um... The top of the range of that's going to be the 3995, which is a 64-core, 128-thread, 4.2-gigahertz processor, <clears throat> 288-meg of cache, um, runs up to 2 terabytes of ECC RAM, and has a 280-watt power usage. So to put that in consumption, that's about what your fridge uses. Actually, that's more. Your fr average fridge uses two hundred and fifty watts, so it actually uses more power than your fridge. Yeah, <laughs> just the processor. Um, but it's benchmarking um, upwards of at least ten percent higher, and it's like the third the price of the the Intel processor. So, um, Lenovo is taking advantage of this, and the Lenovo new range of workstations. Uh, that they're releasing have the new Ryzen Threadripper Pros in them, um, and basically they're they're going to be the only workstation with the Threadrippers in them. Um, it's going to be based for everything from uh, visual arts, game developers, architects, engineers, that sort of stuff. It's an out of the box, ready to go solution. Like you don't have to mess around and build your own system anymore. You can just like, this would be the system I would buy if I didn't build this system. Like, if Lenovo did this six months ago, I would have just gone and bought this. Yeah. You know, it's... They come with... Um, they come with up to a terabyte of memory, 20 terabytes of storage space. They have four PCI Gen 4, PCI 3 slots. Um, you know, like, they, they can have multiple GPU configurations. You could run... Um, two NVIDIA Quattro RTX 8000s or four RTX 4000s or, you know, it's, it's a very flexible off-the-shelf purchase. Um, and the fact that they're going this way is really 
a shot in the foot for Apple, whose Apple's last ditch effort to retain customers was to have something that developers and programmers and engineers and CAD designers wanted and 3D animators wanted because they they, they worked off the shelf. But now that, as we covered a couple of weeks ago, that um, they're moving to the ARM-based Macs, they're losing a lot of support in that regard. And this is going to be, you know, everyone's just going to buy this. It's going to be, I haven't seen a pricing on this yet, but it has to be half the price of an equivalent Mac. Yeah. Um, and being Windows and Linux-based, obviously, it's going to have a lot more uh, cross-compatibility than than running an ARM-based processor where nothing, you have to buy new software because none of the old software is going to work on it. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be definitely the something to look out for. And if Lenovo, I mean, they're known, the ThinkStation, they're known for commercial stuff, but if a commercial solution is coming out, I, I can't imagine it being long before, um, you know, Republic of Gamers or something is going to bring out a, an off-the-shelf Threadripper solution. Here you go. Have this, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, we got a nudge from Pete to talk about the ARM-based Mac. I thought we said something about that last week. But uh, yeah, last couple of weeks we covered that. found another story that uh, Apple's former head of Mac development, Jean-Louis Gasset, has said that Apple's decision to switch to ARM processors for Macs will make it inevitable that higher-end Windows PCs will have to do the same. This, in turn, Why? will force Intel to start making their own ARM CPUs for use in Windows machines. You don't think so? Why? Why he says um, there's every reason to believe Apple's claims that ARM processors will offer more power and greater battery life. According to Geekbench tests, A12Z performance matches or exceeds my MacBook Pro. Apple didn't disclose the TDP for the A12Z processor, but we can rely on an indirect number the iPad Pro's 18-watt power adapter output. This gives us an idea of what to yeah. expect from Apple Silicon in future Macs, significantly lower TDP without losing processing power. Microsoft will not be able to sit back and watch Apple take the lead with the most powerful PCs on the market, nor will third-party brands making Windows machines. This leaves Microsoft with a choice, either forget Windows on ARM and seed modern PCs to Apple, or forge ahead, fix Apple compatibility problems, and offer an ARM-based alternative to Apple's new Macs. It's a false dilemma, of course. Microsoft will forge ahead with repercussions for the rest of the Windows PC industry. Specifically, what are Dell, HP, Asus, and others going to do if Apple offers materially better laptops and desktops and Microsoft continues to improve Windows on ARM Surface devices? In order to compete, PC manufacturers will have to follow suit. They'll go ARM because all defensive... Rhetoric aside, Apple and Microsoft will have made the x86 architecture feel like what it actually is, old. Yes and no. Uh, technically, yes, they're correct that it's a better architecture, but ARM is not new. ARM's been around for, what? I remember seeing ARM processors back in the 386 days as a, as a compatible... Acord made BBC Micros in ARM. Yeah, exactly. They're not a new process, and they're an amazing processor back then. I remember a friend of mine had an Acorn, an Acorn system, and that thing, the the graphics that that thing could do was just absolutely insane. the The detail and the processing power of it was ridiculous. But they didn't take off. Why? Because to go over to it, you've got to replace every single bit of software you've got. Most of your hardware is not compatible, and you've got to forego having a lot of available 
products because they're not there. And unless every software manufacturer branches off an ARM-compatible piece of software that's compatible with somebody else's ARM-compatible piece of software, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a big mess, yeah. Because um, you need a close We'd have to have something like a x86 emulator for ARM Windows. Yeah. And then that's going to be a terrible mess and slow down. And in which case, why are you running at ARM? Yeah, I mean, you know, you need a closed infrastructure. Apple is, Apple, in many of their flaws, is a closed infrastructure. For them to switch to ARM isn't a big deal. They just go, screw it, we're doing it. They're yeah. going to have um, dual binaries like they did when they switched from the PowerPC to Intel. Mm. I'll just do universal binaries again. That'll work on both for a while until they cut it back down to ARM-only binaries. Yeah, and I mean, they're the ones who can do it. They're the ones who will get away with it. And that's not to say that there won't be crossovers. Like, it may be possible for Compaq or HP or Dell to go, here's your, you've got two choices. Here's your you know, AMD or Intel-based version, and here's your ARM-based version. Yeah. I guarantee you, other than... Probably this is where it's going to come down. See, ARM is much lower powered device for the same sort of processing capability. But what I can end up seeing happening is it's going to be end up using for tablets and laptops, uh, point of sale systems, um, integrated infrastructure, all that sort of stuff where you want a lot of processing power, but you want as little heat dissipation and as little power consumption as possible. Yep. So, whilst, yes, it's a fantastic processor and it's fantastic in its own right, it's not going to see mainstream, but I think there'll definitely be niche markets. I mean, it's never gone out of fashion. They've continually made ARM for the last 30-odd, 30, 30 40 years. Yeah, our phones work. In, yeah, exactly. So, it's not like it's it's going to just disappear if they don't switch over to it, but I just don't think, not not yet at least, there's still too much fragmentation in the standard retail market for that to become... Mainstream. Microsoft would take five to ten years. Well, and and then after Microsoft's relaunched it, then other applications can think about being compatible because they've got to yeah. wait for Microsoft <laughs> to work out what they're going to do before they could write compatible software for it. Well, that's why when <laughs> when they first brought out OS X and people were like, well, why don't you just open source it? We can run it on anything. I said mm. the the point of them not doing that is they know what hardware's in there. That's right. And they can write drivers specifically for that hardware. Probably 50, 60, maybe 70% of problems with Windows computers is the drivers mm. made by a third-party guy in his home or backyard shed. Well, and not even that. It's the cheap, compatibility, cheap compatibility between hardware. Yeah. You know, you might have hardware conflicts between individual pieces of hardware. And if you're the company that puts all the hardware into the yeah. motherboard that you make, you know everything about everything and there's no mistakes to make no. that's going to cause blue screens or anything. And your stripped-down variant is going to be faster because you now have a streamlined driver loading database. You have a streamlined infrastructure. So the whole process is quicker and more powerful from end to end before you add you know, verif different hardware configurations in there. So... Yeah. As much as I bag on Apple, look, they've got the print the 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 principle under which they operate in terms of that is is great. It's fantastic. It's a it's a great way to secure your product and to make sure that it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, and it does allow them to do a hardware change and with minimal impact to their to their existing customers. 
Yeah, um, a lot of people were like, oh, bloody Microsoft, it's crashed Windows again. Well, it's not because of Microsoft. It's because of random well, drivers always. for all these different companies and they're all conflicting and we quite they don't often, control anything. That often is because of Microsoft. Like, that they, well they for roll you, back yes. your drivers. But <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. Like, uh, I, I'm not against ARM at all. Uh, same as, remember back when they had the risk processes? Yep. Back in the, you know, the, back in the day and... OS2 Warp was a risk-based OS. It was yeah. supposed to be written for risk, if I'm not mistaken. And on the right hardware, it was a fantastic. But unless you wanted to write up a document or browse a very basic internet, you couldn't do anything else because nothing else had been developed to run on that processor. Yeah, that's what ARM stands for, Advanced Risk Machine. Mm. Originally, yeah, I mean, that is used to be called, yeah, I was going to say, they used to be called RISC before they were... Yeah. Before they were called That's a reduced instruction set instead of CISC, which is complex instruction set that runs on x86 devices. Mm. So it comes down to compatibility versus out-and-out brute, you know, brute power, I guess. Yeah. For servers and mainframes, and they've been, you know, they've been um, for forever. Like mainframes, yeah. just reliability and power consumption, speed, yeah. Heat. Heat dissipation, you know, absolutely. But for the average person in PC, not in the next 10 or 15 years, I can't see it. It, it, it may happen. It may get to the point where the the AMDs and the Intels stall in their development and can't push that pro, that architecture any further. Then, yeah, absolutely, ARM's going to step in. But until then, at least That'd at the wild. moment, there's not enough, there's not enough call... To change an entire infrastructure, it's yeah. just it's just too expensive. You know, so. Any more for you? Nothing interesting, honestly. Nothing. <laughs> just a quick little one. Microsoft seems to be getting a kick out of seeing users struggle to find Windows 10 features these days. After moving the fresh start feature in the latest version. 2004 and reducing the number of days Windows 10 Pro Enterprise and Education users can manually delay updates. The company is now experimenting with moving key control panel features, including system information, to settings. Windows' latest blog spotted. It's a change that some long-time Windows users might not take too easily. If you've been using the control panel for decades, getting accustomed to this feature will be as arduous as unlearning a bad habit. To be fair, it's a bit redundant to have information on your system specs located in three different places, mm. not to mention all three don't show the exact same information. Nope. Currently, Windows 10 users can access hardware information on their PC in several places, but the main ways are Control Panel, System and Security System, and Setting System About, or Typing System Information into the search bar. System and About show nearly the same info, what processor you have and how much RAM you have installed, for instance, except about will show you what version of Windows you have. System information shows more detailed information about your PC, including your motherboard, GPU, and other hardware. Microsoft is trying to centralize this information and moving forward, it seems likely that the control panel will be killed off entirely. Well, you mean like they used to? Yeah. You go to one <laughs> place and find the information. You, you know, I discovered the other day when I was having all those issues with files updating and stupid crap. There's three separate locations to turn Windows updates off and each of those locations turns a different part of the update off. <laughs> one turns off the minor updates, one turns off the major update, actually no, there's four. 
One turns off the minor updates, one turns off the major updates, one turns off the driver updates, and one turns off the security updates. <laughs> There's four separate places you have to hey, go when do you to. just want to block all of Microsoft from your network and yeah, save the headache? I'm, I'm just going to set up the, set up the yeah, the, the blocking their IPs for their updates because it's absolutely just stupid. And the thing is, every time a major update gets reinstalled, it reactivates all the other updates. You have to go back and turn them you off. You have to again. go back and do them again. So, thanks, Microsoft. Mm, <laughs> not a problem at all. Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Head Show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, and youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Also, now at patreon.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Sign up for $4 a month, $10 a month, or from several other tiers to support us. See the site for details, and thanks for the guys already doing that. Email us, Glenn, Will, Warlock at aussietechheads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on aussietechradio.com. 24-7 back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows are added each Friday. See you all later next time. See you later, guys. Bye.